This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf. I am here in Washington, D.C., also coming to you from Washington, D.C. We have Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University Law School. Hi, Rosa. Hi, David. We have Evelyn Farkas of the German Marshall Fund. Hi, Evelyn. Hi, David. We have Ed Luce of the Financial Times. Hello, Edward. Hello, David. And off in London where it's dreary and wet and she is the only ray of sunshine for an entire country. <laughs> we have Corey Chalky's laugh. We, we don't actually have Corey. We just have her laugh, which we pipe in. <laughs> um, speak words so we know we have more than your laugh. Hello, Corey. Hello, David. Hello, Rosa. Hello, Evelyn. Hello, Ed. It's so nice to be back with you guys. I have missed you these last couple of weeks. Well, we are very glad to have you here. You sometimes talk about your school teacher's heart. Uh, it is summertime, so I assume that you're thinking, well, it's summer. I should go on my break. Um, uh, and, but the other thing that people do in the summer is they read. And we found that the episodes that we do where we talk about new books and things that people have been reading do really, really well. I assume that you will just, as is the case uh, for people who work in <laughs> Europe, have eight weeks off and you'll be in, um, you know, some south of France location and have a big stack of eclectic material near you because you are very... <laughs> uh, but pick one will... of the things that top your list. I, w- I have zero days off. Um, And yet I have an avalanche of books to recommend. Uh, First, two that I have already read and loved, Madeline Miller's magnificent novel, Circe, uh, about the sorceress who figures tangentially in the Odyssey, turning Odysseus's sailors into swine. Um, And this novel, Let's her be the Odysseus of her own odyssey. It tells her story and weaves together so many interesting narratives from the the ancient literature, and it's delightful and engaging. So I love that. I think everybody should read it. Second, Tara Westover's memoir, Educated, uh, about her experience growing up in a in a suffocatingly cloistered, uh, homeschooled environment and what she learns going out into the world. It's such a beautiful epiphany about human potential and uh, from someone who's such a sensitive instrument of perception. So that's magnificent. Benjamin Armstrong, B.J. Armstrong's uh, History of the Early Years of the American Navy, Small Boats and Daring Men, which is just fabulously swashbuckling, and I'm loving. Uh, Charles Flood's book, Grant's Final Victory, 
about Grant uh, racing against time to finish his memoir, which he, uh, which Mark Twain agreed to publish for him in order that his family may have means of sustenance after he went bankrupt. Um, and then uh, the last category of books, I promise, I promise I'm almost done, um, are books that I am reading for a book I want to start to write. The first one of which is Caroline Alexander's book, The War That Killed Achilles. She's the author who wrote The Bounty and The Endurance, and it's an exploration of warfare in the Iliad. And I'm reading it because I'm also going to read this summer six different English translations of the Iliad to explore for myself what is enduring about warfare as technology and society and historical experience of war changes um, to compare and contrast translations starting in 1509 and working up to the present day. Okay, I promise I'll stop there, David. Holy shit. Do I feel inadequate? I feel like little man and a little boat. Um, no, no, you are neither of those things. Um, but by the way, B.J. Armstrong's small boats and daring men could help you out if you feel that way. No, well, that's what I was thinking. I was actually also thinking that if there was one genre of literature that could really explode, it would be genres of literature in which we revisit the major stories of the Western canon, for example, and give women fair treatment in them after 2,000 years of them not getting fair treatment. Yeah, absolutely. Emily Wilson's translation of the Odyssey does that magnificently. And, and Madeline Miller's novel, Circe, also, it's the women's stories that are the central focal point and that does reverse the gender lens. Yeah, I'd be like, can you imagine Penelope walking around the house going, where is this fucker? You know, he's out there. <laughs> <laughs> he said he was taking the garbage out. <laughs> it's right. right, exactly. Alternatively, my favorite reinterpretation of the Odyssey would be Penelope actually enjoying ruling the kingdom for 20 years while he's gone which she wouldn't have had the opportunity to do anywhere other than Dido's Carthage. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I think that there's an interesting, uh, you know, there's an interesting vein of all of these things there. I, I, one of the reasons I think of this is that my wife is an opera singer, you know, and so she sings in all of these operas. And in every opera that a strong woman appears, she's killed. And, you know, you could, reverse, yes. you could reverse the plot of every single one of these things. And let's also see Also true of Dido, right? right? In the Aeneid. Also let's, true of Dido, the ruler of Carthage. It's also, um, also true of all Disney movies ever. Exactly. I was just going to say, every Disney mother ever. <laughs> the first thing that is to kill the mother. It's What is with that? Um, and the same is, by the way, true in American political campaigns, where... The first thing we do is we try to kill off the women, even though they're better candidates than the men. Um, okay, wait, wait. I have one more. I have one more recommendation, which is I had the day off Saturday, the first day off in a really long time, and I luxuriated by reading the letters, the correspondence between Alexander Hamilton and John Lawrence. Um, Lawrence was one of the early rebels and one of the last fatalities of the American Revolution. And 
let me just offer you a one, two-sentence teaser from the last letter Lawrence received from Hamilton before he was killed in combat. Hamilton was at Yorktown about to uh, participate in the British surrender. And fighting was, of course, still intensely going on in the Carolinas. Hamilton writes, Peace made, my dear friend, a new scene opens. The object then will be to make our independence a blessing. And I feel that sings to me right now because of the state of our politics. And, and we ought to focus on how to make our independence a blessing because we're not doing a very good job of it right now. Uh- a, a, a great message. Ed, do, do you read books on your own or do people at Stately Loose Manor read to you? Um, I'm still I'm still on the <laughs> auto book reading, the auto book reading um, track. Uh, and um, I, having trouble winnowing down to what the best ones would be. But if you want some really good light relief, whether you're, um, you know, in Martha's Vineyard or in the Caribbean or in a Greek island or somewhere, I'd, I'd recommend volume two of the Mother Report. It just sort of transports you away to a very different world. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and everybody should read it. Um, but, uh, but that, that aside, um, most of the books I've got to recommend with the exception of the Tara Westover one, I share Corey's strong endorsement of educated. It's a really, really good book. Uh, most of the, uh, most of the ones that, I've liked and read recently are quite quite heavy nonfiction um, books. As Sherry Berman um, has come out from Barnard College, has, has, has come out with this um, brilliant book called uh, "Dictatorship to Democracy in Europe," um, which is a magisterial sort of history of democracy in the last four hundred years, really since really since uh, sixteen forty eight. And it, it, it's taken her ten years. She's a great, um, she's a, she's a, a great scholar of Europe, of modern European totalitarianisms. Um, but what's good about it is it gives context to the current moment to go through the sweep of the history from the, you know, end, ending of the divine right of kings to the struggles between the aristocracy and monarch, monarchs, um, to um, the nineteenth century where. It was a period um, of English exceptionalism because the king was very much tamed um, and um, the aristocracy was so predominant and so self-confident, unlike its European counterparts, it was it was able to um, extend the franchise, share power and avoid uh, and avoid the, the 1832 uh, and avoid the 1848 revolution. Um, and uh, vote itself, as I said on an earlier show, into voluntary retirement. Um, it, it's it, it's a really, really good. What resonates to me is how when elites share power, um, they're able to perpetuate themselves. When they refuse to share power, um, they they create situations they ultimately cannot manage. And what I fear, what I draw most from that book, is that our elites today are not sharing power. Um, they are hoarding resources. They're cutting taxes for themselves. They're cutting assistance to those who aren't in the elite. And they are st- stirring a populism they cannot control. Um, so her, her history is a brilliant sort of context for that. Adam Tooze's book, Crashed, which won a Pulitzer, um, 
gives a much more modern economic um, sort of backdrop to the current populism. Uh, it's really a, um, a history of the, of the global economy, and particularly the Western economies this century and the last 20 years. And, and you know, again, I think I've made the point before, but anybody who, who thinks this is entirely about the deplorability, about uh, xenophobia, about anti-immigrant sentiment, should read this book and look at the ec- economic antecedents of populism. Um, uh, so Crashed by Adam Tooze, I'd strongly recommend. I've just reviewed Preet Bharara's memoir, and I was expecting not to like it, um, Doing Justice, it's called. I was expecting to find it very self-serving and um, uh, to serve as a platform um, for his political ambitions, which it might well um, ultimately do so. He's an ambitious guy. But I actually found it a, a really delightful philosophical explanation of how the justice system works um, and just very, very nicely written. I think it's going to get widely read that book and I'd, and I'd, I'd, I don't normally read books by lawyers on the legal system and, um, and when I do, I don't finish them. This one I read very, very sort of easily and would recommend it to non-lawyers such as myself. Um, I, I, I've got a sort of excess of ponderous books um, on my desk because I, I've been asked to review a lot recently. So you're probably all cancelling your summer vacations as I speak um, and preferring not to read. Um, so I'll stop at that point. <laughs> Those are great recommendations, Ed. I was taking notes. <laughs> they are very Thank you. I, I have to, I feel obligated to just, you know, ask you a leading question here. Um, Ed, if you were going to pick one book this summer to read about Kim Jong-un, what book would that be? Uh, well, I, I, I think I would choose Anna Fifield's book. Um, and uh, and it's by far the best. And it's, she's by far the most informed. Um, she's a Washington Post, now China cor- um, correspondent. But um, she was covering Japan and North Korea. And she's been, I think, to North Korea more times than any other Western journalist. She's been like at least 12 times um, and has been writing about Kim Jong-un for years. And uh, her book is undoubtedly the best on this subject. Absolutely right. And that's, I just finished reading it. She sent me a draft of it. And uh, uh, I, 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 uh, she's a mutual friend of ours. And I just wanted to add that she also has been on the show. And we'll get her on to talk about this um, book. Um, Rosa, moments ago, Ed attacked books by lawyers. I was wondering if you had a feeling, any response to that. <laughs> oh, no, 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 I didn't no, mean Rosa. Quite right. <laughs> um, he's quite right to say that. Um, but uh, lots of great recommendations. I'm taking notes, too. So I'll give a few recommendations. Some I've read, some I haven't read yet, but I want to read. Um, um, one is a... 2018 novel, The Mars Room, which I think was shortlisted for the Mad Booker Prize. Um, and it's a story of a, of a woman who is starting a life sentence in, in a California prison. Um, and it's a fascinating story, partly about the whole prison industrial complex uh, that is really riveting. Um, on a not exactly the same theme. Here's a book that came out a couple years ago, but I only just read uh, Ian Overton's 2016 book, The Way of the Gun. Um, it is a work of journalism looking at sort of the, the 
the life cycles of guns, you know, uh, the manufacturers of weapons, uh, weapons sellers, um, and the sort of really trying to kind of trace the sort of small arms manufacturing uh, uh, from, from the beginning to how they end up being used in conflicts as well as being used in school shootings, et cetera. Uh, and it's kind of fascinating because it, it, it takes it it takes the gun as the 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 gun is the gun is a character, uh, uh, and there are all these characters around guns who, at various stages of the manufacture, sales, use process, regulation, uh, obviously have their their own stories, and it's it's a fascinating way to get people to think really differently about um, about weapons manufacture, sales, and regulation, uh, and a really creative way to do it. Um, then uh, there's Tim Snyder's most recent book, The Road to Unfreedom, um, looking at the more subtle ways in which authoritarianism and fascism are, are re-emerging in both America uh, and in Europe, um, in case you just want to get really depressed. Actually, all of these are pretty depressing. Um, and then somebody who I was never particularly fond of, but I, I actually do think this book has got a lot of worthwhile stuff in it, is Bob Kagan's book, The Jungle Grows Back, um, a, a partially unrepentant but partially repentant neocon, uh, talking about the ways in which uh, if we fail to foster international institutions, um, we, are, we are doomed, uh, the jungle grows back. Um, and in very much in keeping with that same theme, a uh, recent book by Stephen King, no, not that Stephen King, called Grave New World, The End of Globalization and the Return of History, uh, which is talking about some similar phenomenon, the rise of populism, uh, the weakening of international institutions, et cetera, and predicting a new global period of chaos and misery. Um, which, as an apocalypse fan, I of course think, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, so those would be my recommendations. <laughs> well, I love it that you stayed on brand there. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and by the way, I'm going to come back to each one of you, and I'm going to ask you a question, which is, name a book under that you know that's out there now that you will not read under any circumstances, um, and. Uh, <laughs> Or or, 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 alternatively, there are so many. You can name an author who you wouldn't read under any circumstances. Um, I just thought of this because I, I was looking at the list of big books this year, and I saw one author's name, and I thought, no way, that's going to happen. Um, Evelyn, what's what are what are what's what's on your nightstand for the summer? Okay, so I guess I'm I'm equally heavy in terms of the the theme. The themes, um, so dark and doom and beware of going back to the past, um, wow. though some of my choices are shorter. So I will start with, and I know I'm like a broken record because every time I get a public fora, I mention this book. Literally, I mentioned it on Bill Maher's show. I mentioned it testifying before the House Foreign Affairs Committee. I mentioned it on MSNBC every time I can. So humble sure brag, Evelyn. Humble brag, Evelyn. Humble brag. No, I'm... Okay. <laughs> well, the point is that own um, it. Don't uh, don't back off. Just say yes. That's who I am. You've got stuff. You've got things to brag about. 
Yeah. All right. Well, that wasn't the intent, so I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I meant it affectionately, my friend. I didn't I mean no, it snarkily. but I but I don't want You're to be awesome. bragging. So the point is that this book called How Democracies Die, it's not very long. When I first heard of it, I thought, two Harvard professors, this must be like a 400-page book about democracies and their you know, evolution, their, their, their births and deaths and everything else in between. But no, it's a pretty short book. So those of the deep state radio listeners who are more millennial and don't like to get in, dig into the deep tomes can and should read this. And my point about saying every venue where I've mentioned this book is only to say that every place I go where I speak publicly, I mention it because I, and I will continue to mention it, including on this show, on this program, because I really believe that if we don't have citizens who are alert to the dangers that the president poses, not to mention what's happening globally, but let's just focus on America right now as Americans and Ed Luce, um, <laughs> you know, we need to read this book. Um, and so that I would say everyone needs to read that if they haven't read it already. It goes over the four things that every autocrat does. Um, one, refuse to play by democratic rules. Two, delegitimize their opponents. Three, tolerate or encourage violence. And four, prepare to curtail the civil rights of political opponents and the media. Sounds familiar? It should. Okay, the second one, I'm only going to do two. Well, I'll do three, because why not? Um, people like threes. So the second one I'm reading right now, it's also not going to make you feel really good about life or America, but I think it's another one where it's worth reading because it'll make you think, and it does play into the debate today, not about dying democracy, but about um, economic inequality. And it's Winners Take All. It came out earlier this year. It's by Anand Giridardas, who is a reporter who's worked for the New York Times and other outlets. Um, and he basically posits that all of the do-gooders out there who make a lot of money, he pokes, he, he targets the tech industry in particular, these new billionaires, they set up foundations, they come up with ways to try to ameliorate the suffering of others, but really they don't want fundamental change because the only way you can get fundamental change is through government. And in fact, all these efforts are really just weakening and papering over things. They're the band-aids and we really need to re-empower government. So I think it's very interesting given the conversation that was started certainly on the, the, the left of the Democratic Party about how to deal with economic inequality, which I think conservatives also are open to. We see now, of course, greater acceptance across the political spectrum to um, Medicare and things of that nature. So I think this book, it's a little bit hard to read because it's, it's all over the place. There's lots of little anecdotes and stories, but, but I think it's worth um, sticking with it. And then the last one for something that reads like fiction, though sadly it's not, um, and also comes from the past, I would recommend A Woman in Berlin. It's written by Anonymous, um, a woman who uh, suffered through the Soviet occupation of East Berlin and um, was raped. And so it's very much a story about, but raped along with you know all the other women. So it's a story about um, how women and men coped with rape as an extension of occupation and war. And I think it's worth reading today as a reminder for all of us civilians who sit comfortably in our homes taking things for granted that um, this is what war and its aftermath looks like. Um, That's it. 
Boy, <laughs> what a summer you're going to have. I know. Well, these are the ones I've read, so I, I can't, I, I didn't have enough time to look forward at my stack of books, um, and I, I would have some fiction on, on that list. It's a great list, Evelyn. Thanks. It's a very, it's a very good list, but, you know, you could make stuff up. Um, uh, okay, Corey, who, do, who wouldn't you read under any circumstance? <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, you even gave me time to think about this. Um, James Joyce. I would read nothing by James Joyce because while I acknowledge the importance of his stream of consciousness writing and Ulysses and others, I, I just find it boring. I want it edited. I, I want sense and momentum and an arc of a story, and well, I don't get it from that. How do you feel that. about the fact that Pete Buttigieg says Ulysses is his favorite book? You know, I think uh, people of sense and judgment can different, differ even on important issues and still respect each other and find political compromise. So the fact that that astonishes me in no way diminishes my belief that right now he seems like a force for good in American politics. I think he was just cravingly pandering to the popular vote. <laughs> <laughs> Right. That's right. To all the James Joyce fans out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exa exactly. Sitting there waiting for Bloomsday. Um, Ed, surely there's someone you revile. Oh, yes. Uh, well, I mean, I've been trying to narrow it down in my head, and it's been the frantic sort of process since you first flagged <laughs> this question. Um, but I have come up with the answer. David Cameron's forthcoming uh, memoir, um, which <laughs> apparently is going to be a, the first the first book um, without a spine ever to be released. <laughs> well done, Ed. Well done. Oh my God, that's uh, awesome. Uh, and already, already the worst reviewed book ever, and it's not coming out until September. Um, wait, so wait, it's worse reviewed than Boris Johnson's Churchill book. That's it's so the competition is tough, but you know, but Boris was only worse reviewed after he released his. Um, <laughs> you know, we're talking four months before David Cameron's <laughs> book has been trashed as the worst book ever. Um, Fabulous! So I, I think I'm not going to read it. Uh, uh, oh, oh, please! I'm going to write into the editors of the Financial Times and beg and plead for Ed Luce to review this book. In fact, I think everybody who's listening to Deep State Radio should email Lionel Barber at the <laughs> and say that Ed Luce has given such a brilliant summary of the book prior to even reading it that he should be given the chance. I think, seriously, it should be, it, the title is apparently for the record. Um, but it should seriously be one sheet of paper and it should just be called Spineless. Very, very, no, it's very nice. And I think that's a, that's a, that's a good suggestion. Maybe on one of these shows someday, we'll give some suggestions of books that certain people should write. Um, Evelyn, is there anybody that you wouldn't read or do you, you know, I'm judging from your book list that that would include anybody who's written anything lighthearted or brief. Well, okay. So first I want to add to Ed's thing. I like the <laughs> idea of one page because 
David Cameron also can't count votes based on, you know, Syria and Brexit votes. So um, uh, one page is perfect. <laughs> um, Nicely done, Evelyn. Yeah. So um, second, uh, I would definitely not read the book by that guy that Trump just pardoned. You know, there's a guy, some kind of crony that he just pardoned. And that guy wrote a book about Conrad, Trump and how Conrad, great Trump I, is. Conrad, Conrad Black, I, right. Yes, yes. Sorry, I should have remembered Conrad Black because he's actually kind of a swampster. But, um, you know, Washington. Oh, Washington, by the way, by the way, Evelyn, just to supplement, yes, sir. supplement Evelyn's point, anything, anything ever written in the past or in the future by Dinesh D'Souza, who was also oh, yes. pardoned by Trump. Yes, shouldn't, yes. Shouldn't just be not read. It should be stolen and burned. Yes. Yeah, yes. yes. That's right. <laughs> by the way, you know who also belongs in that group? Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Why? Who, oh, God. What an asshole. <laughs> the first, I mean, truly of the first order assholes. Um, but, but I, you know, I don't want to deprive... Uh, first of all, did you complete your answer there? I, I'm finished. I'm finished. All right, Rosa, what is your uh, opportunity? Oh, golly. Um, I am not reading Amy Chua's book on political tribes. Um, I just can't. I just can't. I just can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on. You have to elaborate. Right Please. Right. No, I... <laughs> <laughs> somebody, somebody say Dave. I feel the existential Some, despair in Rosa's voice actually says it all. Yeah, no further comment. So you're going to read David Brooks's book? No, I'm not going to read that either. I know he's your friend, David, but I'm not going to read that either. I did read a whole, that whole long review of it in The New Yorker, and I thought, well, I think I've learned all I need to yeah. know here. I, I have to tell, well, this, is, this may say something bad about me, but I also cannot read his columns. I cannot read columns by almost any of the regular columns for The New York Times because I find them so incredibly predictable at this point. I, I as, as someone who, like you, David, has, has gone through periods of time where I have written frequent weekly columns, I don't think it's good for people. I think people can do it for a couple of years at a time, and then they need to stop and do something else, and then they can do it again for a while. But to do it for 30 or 40 years, good things do not happen. Bad things happen. Yes. I, I, by the way, I think there is an exception to that rule. And the exception is people who write reported columns, where they go out and they find out new things and they write about them. Um, like Ignatius. Sometimes. Ignatius does that. It does sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, he's good at that. And no, Nick Christoph, but also mm -hmm. Ed, Luce, Ed Luce, for example. Ed Luce, for example, yes. Yeah, I think I should be given... I should be given a 40-year contract. I, 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 I strongly agree with you. Well, maybe in exchange for giving the Cameron book uh, review, that would they could work something out. Uh, and, and, I, and I have to say, David Ian, Brooks, Ian, is, uh, um, I'm sorry, David, are you are you waiting for the Ian Bremer, the next Ian Bremer book? I am going to wait for that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, the, the, I, I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm, there's nothing else to say about it except that um, I, I have read an Ian Bremmer book and, and then I did not read the next one and both of them contributed the same to my understanding of the world. <laughs> okay, okay, can I jump in on this? Because, because Jiri Dardas, his book, 
Jerry Dararadas, his book um, actually t- takes on this issue of real intellectuals versus thought leaders, quote, in air quotes. And he, yeah, it's very interesting. He is on a tirade right now about Jared Diamond's new book, Upheaval, and all of the ostensible scientific claims in it that are actually inaccurate. And I reviewed Jared Cohen's prior book, the title of which I have entirely... Jared Jared Cohen, which one? No, Jared Cohen's outstanding, and his book on presidents that you unexpected... had the it's Jared Diamond I'm talking about. That's so okay, so Jared me. Cohen gets a thumbs up and Jared yes. Diamond yes. gets the rotten tomatoes. And, and wait, exactly. and Jared and Jared Kushner is another person whose book I won't <laughs> read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I'll I think I'll don't have time this summer to read Jared Kushner's book on peace in the Middle East that after cutting off assistance to the Palestinian Authority, it's now going to somehow magically create uh, economic dynamism in Palestine instead of offering them political liberty. Yeah, I, I have to say this, by the way, to all the publishers who are listening, and I, I know there are many because I'm sure they're going to write me soon to ask me to write. <laughs> but, but I am not going to read any Trump cabinet member insider books. Um, I'm just, I'm gonna pass on the whole, first of all, I'm not sure many of them can write, but to the extent to which any of them actually do write a book, I'm planning not to read it. Um, uh, And by the way, as for the David Brooks thing, um, I I know him uh, through um, uh, people and, and, and have had pleasant conversations with him. But there is this whole group of sort of moralizing conservative thought leaders who try to um, separate themselves from the Trump phenomenon that they helped create. And they do not accept responsibility for it. And, you know, they each settle into their own paths. Brett Stevens is another person who's done this. And I just, it literally, my blood pressure rises so quickly when I even think about it, that were I to read an entire book of it, it would probably kill me. Please don't read those books, David. (laughs) Um, Well, actually, yeah. I mean, my blood pressure is not an issue at the the moment, but that's because I avoid avoid books like this. Um, uh, You know, apparently... Talking about Trump um, alumni, apparently the Stormy Daniels book is actually quite well written. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> just the and thought. It's, it's, Ed, it's more with sort of summer beach reading. I just you know, it's when you've got your top off. Oh my God! Oh my God! Corey, what are you supposed to say here? I am supposed to say. Sweet baby Jesus, Ed, I did not need that visual. Correct. That I is just think you could mix it up with the Mueller report and Adam Tooze's crashed and, you know, Sherry Berman's dictatorship democracy. It, it's a nice smuggler's board. Of it blends right in, in, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm, we've got two minutes left. I'm going to go around very quickly. What should our listeners do this summer? 
to get them to stop thinking about all this stuff like the Trump thing that they're thinking about all the time? Like just what what would you do to distract yourself completely from this to entertain your mind? Corey's. Uh, well, um, let's start with, uh, be nice to your neighbors, invite them over for a barbecue or a glass of wine, just to remind each other and don't talk politics and remind each other how much we have in common and how much basic decency is the glue that holds American society together. So yeah, being nice to people. I love that. I've lived in New York and Washington for my, all of my adult life and have never met one of my neighbors. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Evelyn, Only the children? No, I've never, none of them. I, yeah, on Halloween. Again, a visual I really didn't need. <laughs> um, Evelyn, what would you do to like lighten up? I don't know. I, I first I thought gin and tonic, but I thought maybe that would make me sound too much like a boozer. So, um, no, that makes you sound like a sophisticated woman of sense and judgment. Okay, thank you. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying. Um, but really, um, that's one option. Um, if you're a teetotaler, um, but you like outdoors sailing, um, uh, I think meditation. I like the idea of convening and being loving. So I, I don't have much. I mean, obviously, clearly, I need to think about this a little bit more myself. I'm not. I'm not indulging in sufficient escapism, except maybe having gin and tonics. <laughs> okay. Well, Ed, what, would, what advice would you give to Evelyn to, like, you know, break out of this cycle of uh, heavy thinking? Well, if I could, uh, you know, I, I've long resisted um, the urgings of friends, family, and sort of completely random strangers to take up transcendental meditation. Um, but if I could combine it with a lot of gin and tonic, I, I might be incentivized to take it up. So, uh, <laughs> that's, so what, okay, what, okay. What do and it's well, not that like sounds yoga. Good. You don't have to keep your balance, Ed. So no, I, I feel I, like they could really well go together. That's a good idea. And Ed, for your <laughs> next book, the title should be Transcendental Alcoholism. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, um, meditation and tonic. Um, but I would, uh, I'm going I'm to mention one distraction that in the coming weeks that um, nobody else will share, um, and um, which I'll be un unapologetic for, which is the uh, quadrennial Cricket World Cup is beginning at the end of this week, and I shall be following it keenly. Oh, my God. Has there oh. ever been a more British sentence spoken? I don't know. If I, had a, if I had a choice between watching that and hitting myself with a cricket bat in the head for the entire <laughs> you can You can do either with a gin and tonic. They both go well with either. Or activity. we could model that most magnificent onion article from the George W. Bush administration and set up a dunk tank for Ed, excuse me, for David and let deep state radio nerds zero out the national debt by spending a couple of dollars to dunk him. <laughs> it's an excellent point and a brilliant business model. So, um, Rosa, um, I know this is, again, it, this is kind of off-brand, but 
surely as you contemplate the apocalypse, you must periodically do something to escape that. Oh, uh, sure. Read, read lots of fiction. Read lots, less nonfiction, more fiction. <laughs> yeah. So if you really, Get right. Here. Excellent so, suggestion, Rosa. Yes, the, I agree. The, the best way to escape the burdens of the real world is to immerse yourself in fantasy. It doesn't have to be fantasy. Just, just don't. Current events are just kind of bad. Plus, get yeah. a dog. Get a dog and read fiction. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. By the way, you know, I have to say, Deep State Dog, who is with me right now, sleeping at my feet, has just slept through both of these podcasts that we've recorded. You this see, afternoon. that's my point. I rest ipsilocator, as we say in the law school world. The thing speaks for itself. Your dog is not worried about the apocalypse. No. <laughs> yeah. Rosa, but you're the main reason I'm worried about the apocalypse because you keep <laughs> reminding me it's unavoidable. No, yeah, did, did you hear the one about the insomniac agnostic with dyslexia? I did, yeah. Have I told you this one before? I didn't. This is a good one. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, well, he, he used to lie awake um, every night, all night, wondering if there really is a, is a dog. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. That's cute. But we have good news for our listeners. That's there terrible. There is really a dog. There is a dog. <laughs> Does dog exist? Dog exists. So yeah. Dog we're not so sure about, but dog definitely, and that is, that's some consolation. Yeah, well, I have to say, if... if if dog doesn't exist, somebody's going to have to explain this drooling on my foot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, folks, summer is beginning. That's a good thing. It's going to be nice out. You can do what Corey said and meet your neighbors. You can read these good books. You can do what Rosa said. You can escape um, uh, 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 the, the burden of the daily news by immersing yourself in things that are untrue. Um, you can do what Evelyn said, and you can, you know, have a gin and tonic on your sailboat. Um, I strongly urge you not to do what Ed said and watch cricket for four weeks. <laughs> um, watch. Oh there, my God! There is no no. Well, you did ask whether it, what, what would most distract you from Trump. Yeah, but you know, watching cricket for a protracted period of time is what <laughs> David Cameron book. <laughs> So, yeah, hanging or firing squad, hanging or firing squad. Yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, we've tried to help. That's all we can do this week. We will look forward to having you back with us next week, which will be officially summer because it'll be past Memorial Day. Um, and I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about since the president wants to mark Memorial Day by pardoning war criminals and then. He's going to take over July 4th in Washington and create a salute to himself. And as he himself put it, we are going to celebrate July 4th as never before because, you know, John Adams didn't imagine it on July 2nd of 1776, um, as his letters point out. Right, Corey? Exactly right, David. Bravo. Exactly. So um, uh, we will be there with you. You will not have to face this summer alone. Uh, thank you to Corey and to Ed and to Evelyn and to Rosa. Tune into the other podcasts. Go to the website. Become a member. Support this glorious enterprise. Read these books. Um, get smarter. 
um, and come back next week and you can get even smarter. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.